0: Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, we have uh, been going through this season of talking about the things that we believe and the basic foundational truth of a lot of things that are really important for us to understand what we believe. And last Sunday and this Sunday, I have been focusing on end times. You know, whenever something happens worldwide uh, or major things happen, people start talking about, Okay, is this the end times? And God wants us to know these things. He wants us to have some clarity about it. And so we, are, we have been looking through 1 Thessalonians. If you didn't hear last message, last Sunday's message, I'm going to just give a quick overview of what we did. But you can always go back and listen to that. Um, and so let's just talk about what am I to do in times like these. Um, f- let me go ahead and say it up front. I do not believe we're in the end times. However, I believe we have the spirit of the end times. Um, We're knocking, if you want to look at it this way, I think we're knocking on the door of end times. But we're not in the end times. And here's how I know that. We're still here. As long as the church is still here, the end times has not happened. And uh, so the next event that really can happen at any time... Um, is the rapture of the church, the removal of the church. And you'll know that when that happens. So that, in fact, that's the one that the Bible says, it'll be like a thief in the night. So it it will seem like, in fact, the Bible says, uh, people will be saying, oh, there's peace, everything's fine, everything's cool. Then all of a sudden the rapture happens. So it's almost when things are calm and settled down, that that's when, that's when the tribulation period could happen. And what introduces the tribulation period is the coming of these four horses. Um, so last week we talked about First John for a moment, and I, want, I think it's important we go back and reread that. It says, this is how you know if you have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. So in other words, the litmus test for any person or any religion or any group is who do you say Jesus is? Now, the reason he says a real body, there were actually those who believed that Jesus just came in spirit and just looked like a human. And uh, they even teach that uh, when he was uh, uh, tormented by the Roman soldiers uh, and whipped before he was crucified, he didn't feel anything. He was just a spirit that had the form of a human body. Uh, So that would tell me, yep, you're totally wrong because Jesus came in a real body. He was fully human. He felt all the pain. And he says, but if someone claims to be a prophet that does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. So the question you always ask, if you want to know about a, a religion or a group or whatever, or an individual, you, the litmus test again is who is Jesus? Who do they see Jesus is? See, they can be right about a lot of other things and it sounds good. Uh, You can be correct about many things, but if the foundation is wrong, then it doesn't matter. And so if you miss it about Jesus, uh, you have missed the whole thing. He says, that person is not from God. Such a person, now this is important, has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. So the Antichrist is an actual person. Now, we don't know if he's already here. The spirit of the Antichrist is here based on 1 John. In fact, the spirit of the Antichrist showed up back in Jesus' day. And the Antichrist, he is going to be a real person. He's going to be born. He's going to uh, get into world leadership So we don't know if that person's even born yet. We just don't know. But when the rapture happens, when the four horses come, he is definitely already here. He is physically here. He is a grown adult, but we don't know if he's been born yet. However, the Bible makes it clear his spirit is here. So the tribulation begins with the uh, releasing of these four horses. And so the Bible tells us, even though that the horses have not shown up yet, they are physical, actual horses. I mean, I remember one time this one guy was saying, well, you know, they're just a figure of speech. And my question is, well, how does Jesus ride a figure of speech? Just how does that work? Because the Bible tells us, you know, he's going to come on a white horse, but uh, that's not the horses we're talking about now. Uh, So the Bible is teaching us, even though the physical horses haven't shown up yet, the spirit of those horses are here. And, And last week we named those four horses. There's the spirit of the white horse, which brings disruption and deception. Anybody believe that the spirit of the white horse is here right now? Absolutely. And what he removes, the spirit of the white horse, he removes our sense of security, our sense of trust. Then secondly, there's the spirit of the red horse. He brings fear and violence. Do you believe that the spirit of the red horse has shown up in several places in our country? Absolutely. He removes the spirit of the black horse, a red horse, will remove this sense of security, of peace. Then the third horse is the spirit of the black horse. He brings economic crisis or collapse. He will remove your economic security. In fact, when all this pandemic started, I believe the spirit of the black horse showed up. And all of a sudden, a lot of people's retirement money just cut in half or even less or more, but it put a dent, uh, and your sense of security economically went out the window. Many people lost jobs. We've had many people in our church to lose jobs. Some of them still haven't found a job yet, so a sense of economic security is definitely there, uh, have been lost. Then there's the spirit of the pale horse that brings disease and death, and so he removes this health security we have a problem with that today? <laughs> I mean, you're wearing mask, right? <laughs> I mean, there's this sense of, uh, of feeling, you know, like uh, we've got a health issue that's going on. So here's my deal. If you're worn out by the normal daily life, and I want to tell you, I was just talking to uh, one of my friends in the back uh, before we came out. He asked me, "How was your week?" I said, "Oh, it was good." And I said, "No, it wasn't. Uh, I'm just really getting tired of this whole thing." And uh, you know, and you probably feel that same way. You're just kind of tired of the whole thing. And, and so there are days when I feel worn out, just about what the normal stuff. So the question then is, if you're not a believer, and what we're going through right now wears you out. How in the world are you gonna survive the tribulation period? That's why I'm glad I'm not gonna go through it. And if you're not a believer, guess what? You will go through the tribulation period. Now, you can get saved in the tribulation period, but you will still go through it. Even as a saved person, you will still go through it. And it will not, I mean, what we're seeing and what we're dealing with is just the spirit of the horses. Wait until the actual horses show up. I mean, we talked last week about this uh, this pale horse actually will take away a fourth of the world's population. Two billion people will die. So what we're experiencing right now is, is small potatoes compared to that. Jeremiah 12:1. It says, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? So in other words, what Jeremiah is saying, hey, if you can't handle just normal day life, how in the world will you survive the tribulation period? So if I were you, I would, wanted, I would want to make my plans not to be a part of the tribulation. I would want to have my security in Jesus. That's enough to motivate me right there. Well, there are a lot of writings in the New Testament about um, end times. Paul wrote about it. Peter wrote about it. John wrote the lion chair of it. Jesus talks about it in the book of Matthew, and you know, Jesus talks about it in the book of Luke. Uh, now, Paul... Um, He basically, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, gave us a great overview. He didn't get into a lot of detail, but the most important thing he gave us, he said, here's the checklist. When things are tough, when end times start coming, here's the checklist. Here are nine things you need to do. Last week, we talked about the first four. Today, we're going to do the remaining uh, nine. Last week, we talked about live with covering, which means don't run it alone. You, you need to do life with others. Live with ministry. In other words, what can you do for other people? Live with grace. Repay evil with grace and good. Live with joy, number four. In other words, you make a choice to be joyful. So now let's get to the fifth one. Number five, live with prayer. 1 Thessalonians five seventeen. Another easy, good verse to memorize. Never stop praying. Got that one already? Never stop praying. So why do we pray anyway? God already knows everything, right? I mean, he already knows my needs. Why do I even pray? Well, here's the deal. Prayer is not you getting God to move towards you and what you want. Prayer moves me towards God and what he wants and pleasing him. See, so often we think prayer is just talking to the Santa Claus in the sky to give me the toys I want. Or we think that God is the person that's supposed to, you know, give me my wish list, or God's supposed to take care of me. And, and so we're trying to bring God down into our world and what we want and what we desire and my hurt and my pain. When it's just the opposite. God's wanting us to bring bring us closer to Him so that we see things from His perspective. And that's what prayer does. In Mark chapter one. It says this about Jesus. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. So here's the statement. Prayer is the difference between the best I can do and the best God can do. When I don't pray, I'm only doing the best I can do. When I pray, I'm allowing God to do the best he can do. And I, I, I have to be honest with you. If you only pray when you are in trouble, guess what? You are already in trouble. If that's the only time you pray and if that's your only motivation to pray, you're already in trouble. So prayer is the difference between the best I can do and the best that God can do. Number six, live with gratitude. Verse 18, be thankful in all circumstances. I wish that wasn't in the Bible because I like to gripe and complain sometimes. I like to get people to feel sorry for me sometimes. You know what I mean? You know, I, I like to moan and groan sometimes, you know, especially with my wife and, you know, and and sometimes she's sympathetic and sometimes she's not. And I think the reason, the difference between the two is she knows when I'm just feeling sorry for myself. So be thankful in all circumstances. And here's why. Simple reason. For this is God's will for you. Is that enough motivation? This is God's will for you to be thankful in all circumstances. So... If that is God's will for me, I better better learn how to do that. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So this is to Christians. If you belong to Jesus, then it's God's will that you learn to be thankful in all circumstances. Now, let's go ahead and admit it. That is not easy to do. And yet, I'm commanded to do it which tells me God will provide what I need to do that. So here's how that works. A a very appropriate prayer. Lord, my situation is overwhelming. I'm sick and tired of what's going on. I mean, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed, and I'm frustrated. But you have told me to be thankful in all circumstances. I don't have the ability to do that on my own. I need you to do that through me. And I want to tell you, when you start praying that way, when you start admitting your helplessness to God and you're honest with God, and then you ask God to show up, guess what? God's going to show up. You say, God, I'm trying to do this on my own and it's not working. I need you. And then when you pray like that, then God is taking you to where he is so that you see things from his perspective. Does that make sense? That's what prayer does. And so I'm able to live with gratitude. Here's the statement. What I have is more than enough. That should be your mindset. That should be your attitude. Versus, what's the opposite of that? Feeling sorry for yourself. Whenever something happens, whenever something comes and it's overwhelming, you have a promise from God that you already have what you need to handle it. That's a cool promise. But when I don't acknowledge that promise and I don't accept that promise and I don't agree with that prayer or that promise, then I set myself up because I try to operate under my power and I want to tell you, it is never enough. My power, my abilities is never enough. But when I say, God, this is overwhelming, great. You're exactly where you need to be. You need to learn to trust me, not yourself. So I need to live with a life of gratitude. Number seven, I need to live with discernment. So here's the statement. I'm going to see things differently from what I'm seeing. That's discernment. When you are discerning, you will see things differently from what you see. In other words, you're able to see beyond the situation. You see the bigger picture. Verses 19 and 20. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. Now, what does it mean to stifle the Holy Spirit? When you're in a situation, the Holy Spirit is trying to change your viewpoint, your eyesight. He's trying to get you to see things the way he sees it. And when you refuse to do that, you're stifling the Holy Spirit. When you don't spend time in prayer, you're stifling the Holy Spirit. When you don't go to the scriptures to learn what God has to say about something, you're stifling the Holy Spirit. You're keeping him from speaking to you. I mean, a a great prayer is always, God, I'm desperate, I need you. That's a great prayer. And that should be a regular prayer. The Holy Spirit is leading you and you need to pay attention to that. You know, when you know you're close to your spouse and you've been married for a long time, you know what starts happening? You start finishing each other's sentences. Or you know how the other one's gonna react to something. Or you say something, you know, this is what happens in my house all the time. I'll say something, Mary looks at me and she says, I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> I mean, that's an indication of how well we know each other. I mean, that's a good thing. And it means I don't need to try to lie to my wife. (laughs) She knows me well enough. She knows when I'm not telling her the whole truth or she knows when I'm trying to fudge on something. I I mean, she knows because she knows me that well. You you see, I want to walk with God in such a way that whenever he nudges me, I know it's him. Whenever he speaks to me, I know his voice. I want to be so accustomed to God's voice, to the, to the Holy Spirit, that when he prompts me, I know it's him. But when I never spend time with him, I mean, many times I've had couples sitting in my office, and they, they could be married for decades, and one of them will start sharing how they're feeling, and the other one will say, I had no idea you felt that way. And I'm sitting there going, that's the problem right there. You spend so little time with each other, so little time communicating with each other that you, didn't, you couldn't read each other. You, you didn't know each other. You're just basically roommates. You're not life partners. You see, you need to be a life partner with the Holy Spirit so that when he whispers in your ear, you know it's him. Because here's what happens. Now listen to this, this, is very important. When you are not accustomed to the voice of the Holy Spirit and you don't spend time talking to him in prayer and you don't spend time listening to him speaking to you through scripture, you can easily be deceived with the voice of the spirit of the Antichrist. Satan can start talking to you. And you don't even recognize that it's Him. You may even deceive yourself to think it thinking it's God Himself. You're a setup. That's how serious this is. That's how important this is. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit now here's here's the thing about prophecies it says do not scoff at prophecies prophecies are telling us things that we cannot see but are going to happen or are happening that's what prophecy is It's things you don't see but they're already happening or they're going to happen It's kind of like um, have you ever flown commercially and and it was one of those rainy, dark, cloudy days and you get on the plane and it's just raining and you get down to the end of the runway and they tell you, you know, buckle up tight. It's going to be bumpy. And, um, the plane takes off and it's bumpy and the wings are going back and forth like this. And you just see the rain pounding on the plane and, and then you're just in dark clouds and it's just, you know, it's a bumpy ride. And then after a while, all of a sudden you bust through the top of the clouds And it's bright, it's almost blinding bright. And all of a sudden it's smooth, the air is smooth because you're above the storm. Well, guess what? The sun was there all along. You just didn't see it until you got through the clouds. A person who walks by faith, when they're in the midst of a storm, they know God's still there. They might not see him or feel him, or one, and they're wondering, but he's still there. And he's going to get you through the storm. In fact, sometimes the only way he can get you to the smooth air and the place you ought to be is by taking you through the storm. The only way a commercial plane's going to get above the, the thunder and uh, the storms and stuff is by going through it. And getting on top of it. And that's what God desires for you. You know, our lives are disrupted right now. It's bumpy. It's a bad storm. It's affecting us in every way that we can imagine. And God wants you to know he's still in control. And he's still got this. In fact, this is one of those times that it's a warning from God. You talk about end times. times. God is saying to us, saying to non-believers particularly, hey, if you can't handle this, this is child's play compared to what's coming. This is child's play. Yeah, a lot of people have died from this, but it's nothing compared to 2 billion people dying. A lot of people have lost money, but it's nothing compared to everybody losing everything. That's what it's going to be like in the tribulation period. What costs pennies today will cost a day's, a week's, a month's wage in the tribulation period. And then you'll only be able to buy it when they let you buy it. It's going to be bad. And I don't want to go through it. And I'm thankful God's going to take out the church before that happens. And if you're not sure of your salvation, I hope that information right there is enough to cause you to stop and say, I don't want to go through it either. I want to know. I want to know the love of Jesus. Because if this is just a simple little warning, I can't imagine what the real thing's going to look like. This is just the spirit of the end times. Number six, live with gratitude. Live with gratitude. Oh, I forgot the statement about never. No, wait a minute. I'm jumping around. Sorry. Uh, where are we? We're down in life with discernment. That's right. Okay. <laughs> let me let me tell you. Let me tell you what God's been doing. Um, over the past 40 years, you know, sometimes we wonder if God's up to anything. Over the past four, 40 years, 1.6 billion people on this planet have prayed to receive Jesus. Let that sink in. Over the last 40 years, 1.6 billion people have, re- have prayed to receive Jesus. If you were to start with the beginning of the church and go all the way to 40 years ago and combined everybody that's prayed to receive Christ during that over 1900 years, It is still less combined compared to how many people have prayed to receive Christ in the last 40 years. That tells me God's really up to something. That tells me God's preparing things for the end times. That tells me there is a spiritual awakening happening all over the world that you and I just might not see it. That tells me God's spirit is moving. And some of the things I get to see in other countries, you know, this year I was supposed to be in the Middle East training former Muslims who are now believers, who are now planting churches back in areas that are very, very difficult and could cost them their lives. And I have the privilege of spending time with them and training them. And to hear their... I I was talking to one of our missionaries uh, today after the first service, uh, who's home for a little bit, and they you know, we were just talking about it. I said, uh, these people are so happy. I mean, they got family members who want to see them dead because they became a Christian and they're happy. They're happy because they get to do things for God. And, uh, you know, one of the head guys in one of our countries, uh, I was eating dinner with him and, you know, he picked me up at the airport and we were just talking. And I said, how are things going? He said, well, my house is burdened now. And I said, really? He said, yeah, it's okay. It'll be all right. I said, did you lose all your stuff? Yeah, pretty much, but it's okay. It'll be all right. God's taking care of me. Oh, would you have that attitude? I wouldn't. I'd be thinking about all that stuff I'd, I lost. And I'd be feeling sorry for myself. And this guy was just like, hey, he was smiling. He was so focused. He said, man, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about all the missionaries, we're gonna, we're gonna, the church planners we're going to train this week. That's what I'm thinking about. Wow. Put me to shame. Living a life with discernment. The Bible says in Luke chapter 21, Jesus said this So, when all these things begin to happen, stand up, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. So, here's the statement. Go through life looking up, not around. That's what discerning people do. When things are tough, like now, Jesus has said to you directly in Luke chapter 21 hey, instead of looking around, look up. Look to Jesus. He's still on his throne, he's still in control. Things are going to be okay. God's going to get you through it, God's in control. That's what discerning people do. Number eight, living a life with wisdom. Wisdom is applying knowledge. That's what it is. To act, to apply. In verses 21 and 22, Paul says, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So be discerning, but wisdom, so discernment is testing, but wisdom is Staying away from every kind of evil, hanging on to what is good. That's wisdom. Now to test, that means that you just don't react to everything. How quick are you just to, you see something on Facebook and you just like it or you post it, you share it, only to find out later it was a big fake. Does that ever happen to you? Happened to a lot of people. And then they have to backtrack it because you didn't take the time to check your facts. Have you ever read the headlines of something, and you had one opinion of what it meant, then you read the story, and it was totally opposite? You ever had that to happen to you? I, I mean, re- I'm going to just use an example. In our state, uh, recently with Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, um, his assistant, his head assistant coach, Danny Pearman, uh, had done something two years ago and the way he disciplined uh, some of his football players and confronted them about something they did and he repeated things back to them. He admitted that it was wrong when he did it, uh, but he wasn't saying it to them, he was repeating what they said and he went and told the coach immediately and the coach said, yep, that was wrong and they apologized, they did everything exactly right. Well, that came out two years after the fact and uh, I, I called Danny. Danny's a friend of mine. We, we, uh, he was in my youth group in Charlotte. And I said, dude, I'm praying for you. He said, I appreciate it. Because, man, you know, people wanted, wanted his hide over this. And there was this one ESPN uh, sports reporter, Paul Feinball, who just really went after Sweeney in a big way. And, uh, and was just calling. I mean, he just went after him. And then he had the courage to say this. I finally went back and actually listened to Sweeney's explanation. And I realized I was wrong. He handled it. It's okay. And he apologized. But he jumped to all these conclusions without examining any of the evidence. So that's not wisdom. Wisdom. So next time before you push share or push like or agree with something, make sure you do your homework because you could be a part of perpetuating something that's just not true. Proverbs 9.10 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Fear of the Lord. I want to please him. I want to live for him. You know, the application of that verse is really just wisdom. Here, here's what Billy Graham said. Knowledge is horizontal. Wisdom is vertical. So a lot of times, and it actually comes down from above, so wisdom is saying, God, what do you think about this? Show me the truth about this. Here, here's my challenge for you this week. I want to challenge you for 15 minutes every day for the next week. You take 15 minutes in the morning. You spend five minutes reading scripture. Then you spend five minutes praying. And then you spend five minutes listening to a worship song. I want to tell you, if you do that, I promise you, you will respond to everything on that day differently. When you begin the day with the Lord, you will respond to things differently. When you don't start with God, you respond to things out of your emotions and your emotions are deceptive. They're not trustworthy. One last thing, number nine, live with vision. Now ministry is about others. Vision is all about you. Vision is... I'm on this planet on purpose. I have a job to do, that's vision. The one thing that will keep you going is your calling, your purpose. I am here because God put me here, God has a purpose for my life, and I have a job to do, that's vision. So my question is, do you have a vision for your life? Do you know why God put you here? What your purpose is? That's what will keep you going when the spirit of the Antichrist shows up. You see, when the spirit of the Antichrist shows up and the spirit of the four horses show up, I focus even more so about what my job is, what my purpose is, why God has me here.